Welcome to Ottawa Valley Community Church, where we simply want to help you encounter Jesus, be transformed, and share His love. I I had something very profound happen to me this morning. Uh, I have a, I, I, I discovered a means that us who are senior citizens can age much more slowly. Isn't that wonderful? How many are over, 60 or over this morning, you got the nerve to put your hand up? Okay, there's quite a few seniors here this morning, right? Okay, so uh, I found a way that we could slow down the aging process, really slow it down. Are you ready for this one this morning? We all need to move to Venus. I discovered something very amazing about the planet Venus this this week. And uh, actually, one Earth day on the planet of Venus is 243 of them for one day. 243 of our days equals one day. That's how long it takes the planet to do one circle and which is 24 hours for us, but which really is 243 hours. So that amounts to 5,832, I'm sorry, that was 243 days for one day, all right? So that means that, you know, one day would last 5,832 hours. If that, we have a birthday once a year, right? Right? You don't have birthdays? Do we have birthdays once a year? Well, if your birthday would come every two million one hundred twenty-eight six hundred eighty dollars. <laughs> so, and I just discovered I was so tempted. I'm sorry that I lost focus for a moment in the service, and I had to check to see if it snowed on Venus, and it doesn't. So that sounds really good to me. So uh, I want to be the first one when Elon Musk gets to send that first rocket out. I'm going to start a fund to raise money to be the first one on there. I'm going to tell him to drop me off on Venus. All right? Now, there's no intelligent life on Venus. And if they drop me off, there still won't be any intelligent life on Venus. You can tell that by my words of wisdom this morning, right? Okay, now let's get a little more serious here. Um, we have been talking about the birth of Christ, and last week Aaron talked about our Savior has come. Something like that, about the Savior has come. And this morning, I'm going to share with you the second Sunday of um, Advent, our Savior draws near. Jesus Christ draws near near to us. And I want to, as I preach this morning, I'm going to show you, with all my points, some different views of the stable on that night. And the things that he experienced that helps me to identify with them and he identifying with me in understanding what it really is to live. It's not all good days. It's not all pleasant days. There are things that we have to endure in this life. My scripture is found in John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 7. In the beginning, the word already existed. This, this word is Jesus. 
Jesus in the flesh, the Word in the flesh, the Word already existed, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Through Jesus, God thought it out, and Jesus spoke creation into place and the Holy Spirit did the creating. You think about that this morning. This is the person that we're talking about. And then connection is lost. I don't care about my connection getting lost. Oh, you're not seeing left. Okay. Maybe it's talking about when I what I shared with you earlier. <laughs> the word where am I too the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. So our Savior, folks, draws near. He is a Savior who can identify with us. We serve a God who understands. I say here, our Savior draws near. I put him on my paper serious. You really think he does? He really cares about us? But he's God, and we know about the gods of this world. Throughout recorded history, we uh, can count anywhere from 8,000 to 12,000 gods that are supposed to have existed and been worshipped on this earth. But we can only count around nine different types of gods. And five of them are found in the Hindu faith. So we have four other gods apart from those that people worship today. And so five different types of gods based on theological characteristics that have been worshipped on this planet. And of those 12,000 or nine gods, there is only one god that draws near. And we're going to see that this morning. Every God recorded in history were men in the flesh who assumed the position as God, but the one that we talk about this morning is a God who existed before time, a God who always existed and was not human, but created humans. And then one day, because of the fall in the garden of Adam and Eve, and the sin tainted the rest of humanity, that this God decided that he was going to leave heaven he was going to humble himself and come in the flesh. And this is who we celebrate during this Easter season. So first of all this morning, our Savior, this one, came in the flesh. As I was preparing this and looking at these little video clips, and uh, my heart was moved again. Because you've heard me say before if there's anything that I, that I was able to do, if there was such a way to step into a time machine and I could go anywhere in history, you know where I would want to go? I want to go to Bethlehem. That's where I, want, I would want to go and see this Savior. Our Savior came in the flesh. In Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8. Again, it says here, He existed in the form of God. Yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. He was equal to God. He was God. Second person of the Trinity. But he was willing to let it go. 
for sinful humanity. Wow. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. Now, can you imagine a God that will become human? In all the other gods of the world, they despise humanity. As a matter of fact, they use them. You know, you have to go through all kinds of rituals to worship this God. But it says here, he humbled himself and became vulnerable. Choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death, by crucifixion. Wow. Became vulnerable. Have you ever had an experience where you became vulnerable? You really had to humble yourself and take a chance? I remember my mind as I, uh, as I spoke that when I was in Malawi, first when Diana went. And I was there in the school, and the students were preparing to start school, so they were getting their uniforms and their shoes. And I remember when the uh, missionary gave me a pair of gloves to put on because I was trying on the shoes on these children's feet to find out their size and they were dirty, they were smelly, they lived in the village, they didn't wash very much and it wasn't, she said, too healthy so if I were you, I would wear these gloves and I put them on for about two minutes. And when I took the feet of the first child, I felt in my spirit so strong. This is the this is dehumanizing. This is this is you know insulting for me to approach you with gloves on. What would Jesus do? And I cast my gloves aside. I became vulnerable because I didn't know what I might pick up or whatever. And you know when I think about Jesus, he became vulnerable. Amen. For you and I. If someone came to you and presented themselves to you in a superior fashion and tried to get you to buy into what they had to offer, how would you typically respond to them? I'm not interested. If you're going to treat me like a whole life, I'm not interested in what you have to say. But Jesus came as our Savior. He became human. And the second one is what we're talking about this morning. Our Savior identifies with us. Have you ever met some people that you walked away and said, now how snobbish can you be? Have you ever said those words? You know, who do you think you are? You think you are so much better than me. And you, and you walked away. But our Savior totally identifies with us this morning. I want us to see that. He is not a distant God but one who wholeheartedly identifies with us. There's an awesome scripture in Proverbs chapter 18 and 24. Listen to what it says. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Are you close to your family? You have brothers and sisters, you know, you're, you're close to them. But there is someone else, the scripture says here, that sticks closer than a brother. I don't know what this is, it's getting on my nerves this morning. Something new will put on the other day, and now it's tantalizing me. <laughs> I'll fix that later. Okay, so I notice as I look at the scripture, you have friends, and then it talks about a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see it there twice. Friends and friend. 
And it's amazing that in the same verse, the first friend and the second one are two different Hebrew words. Not the same word. Usually you would see the same word used, you know, over and over. But in one verse, there are two different friends. Uh, Brown, Driver, and Briggs definitions of the first one is the Hebrew raha, raha, meaning a friend or a companion or a fellow or another person. You know, that, that's the first one. It's, it's somebody that you know. It's, it's, it's human. But then as he says friend the second time, it's not reha, but it's ahab. Two different words. And that word means earthly friends, but adds to it God's love toward man, to individual man, to people Israel. It talks about now, not this friend, not you, and not me, but it talks about there is a God who sticks closer than a brother. And out of these 12,000 gods, there's only one that does that. Some people befriend you for personal gain. Ever had a friend like that? Just for personal gain. See what they could get out of you. And once they didn't get it or once they got it, they disown you. That is an earthly friend. But can I say this morning, Jesus is not like that. Let's look for a moment at six ways that Jesus totally identifies with us. Is coming is dying for us, wasn't something he begrudgingly had to do for us and then walk away saying, okay, I've did my part, now you, you're on your own. It's nice knowing you. I'll see you later when you, when you come home to be with me, but apart from that, don't bother me. Don't wake me up. Don't call me in the middle of the night. So we're going to look at six ways Jesus truly identifies with us. Is coming, as I said, is dying. Have you ever made this statement? If only someone could understand me. You're going through a trauma. You're going through a time and nobody is cluing in. And some people will say to you, ah, man, just get a life. Get over it. You know, nobody identifies with me. Uh, maybe your family may not understand. Your husband doesn't seem to grow. What is wrong with you? Uh, your friends don't understand. Everybody, it seems you can't find anybody that can actually identify with what you're going through. But this morning, I want to tell you something amazing. I know someone who totally understands. He was the one that I turned to many times in my dysfunctional youth. And no one else understood. Many, much of what I was going through, nobody knew. It was all keeping it to myself. But he always understand. And I remember so many times going to church and just worshiping in his presence and the Holy Spirit speaking into my heart. And Jesus understood. And he brought me through. Jesus can identify, but why? And we're going to see that. Let's start with his coming. He was born in poverty. He was born in poverty. In the realm of social stratum, our system of hierarchy that put in place, Jesus was at the bottom. 
I've been in some pretty pitiful places in this world, and I've seen some depraved places. I remember now being in the dump in Guatemala and, and going to the dump and seeing the people that lived there and the little child that one and a half or two years old, two of them with the mother picking through the garbage, living in little huts that just were made out of tarps that were all falling to pieces and seeing those children as they're looking for things that they could give to the person that they work for for little or nothing so that they could take it and go and sell it or whatever they do with it. Clicking little pieces of cardboard and all kinds of things. And when they come across a little bit of food in that garbage bag, seeing those two-year-olds eating it. What a low life to have to live. Jesus you saw right there, was born in poverty. He was born at the bottom. Coming as a king, God in the flesh, you think he would have been born in a palace. As a matter of fact, the so-called wise men went to a palace, right? They just give up following the star. We don't need that anymore because we are wise men, almost as wise as me when it comes to taking care of being a senior. They were wise men, and they went where the most logical place that you're going to find a king is in a palace. And it actually led to Jesus almost being destroyed, and many, many babies, sons who were killed because the wise men slipped up a little and went in the wrong place. But this king, God in the flesh, was born in a stable. No room for him in the bitter place, in the hen. A stable is about the lowest you can go. And at his birth, he was laid to rest in a what? In a manger. Uh, Luke 2, verses 6 to 7. I got to get rid of this thing when I get home. Piece of software just coming off. <laughs> Keeps popping up. Uh, six to seven. While in Bethlehem, she went in labor. Now she had a pretty long journey. I got a feeling you know she could have easily brought that on, even dancing around on that donkey. And gave birth to her first son. She wrapped the baby in a blanket and laid him in a manger. Sounds nice, doesn't it? A feeding trough. Feeding trough. Had no room for them. You see, that's fine. He had a humble beginning, but I'm sure that he demanded king status after a while. Listen to him walking with some of his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verses 58. This is what he said about himself. This is him as the teacher. This is him as proclaiming to be the Messiah. He's an Luke 9 verse 58 says, But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay a head. Wow. Pastor Aaron talked about being in the ministry and having to live in a tent. You know, having to live in some little hut summer or some deplorable looking place. Jesus had nowhere to go. Nowhere to lay his head. And then thirdly this morning, 
he experienced weariness. I'm not just talking about physical exhaustion. Weariness that we can experience. Have you ever had such a heavy burden? Have you ever carried such a heavy load emotionally that you found yourself become weary? Have you ever been there? Weary from the journey? Weary from the trials of life? Weary dealing with problems that don't seem to go away. And I can go on and on this morning. You've been there. I have been there. When you didn't know if you're going to make it through the week, it seemed that everything was going wrong. Can Jesus identify with that? Listen to Jesus' own words at Jacob's well. He's traveling. He's been traveling for a long journey. And he comes to Jacob's well. And it says here in John 4 and 6, wearied by his long journey. He sat on the edge of Jacob's well. He sent disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Jesus was too exhausted and too tired to even just, uh, you know, to go that little bit more of a distance and go into town and get something to eat. He sat on the well and he sent his disciples. Ever been there? Man, you've been there. I've been there. How many of you husbands, you know, doing some hard work out around the yard or whatever else, you did something and you came home and you were totally exhausted and you just plopped down in your chair and you looked at your wife and you said, Honey, can you get me a drink? Could you make me a sandwich? Why can't you do it yourself? I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. Wearied by his long journey. I love the way Peterson paraphrases this. Listen to it. Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. I know you've been there. I have been there when we face times of exhaustion, not just physically, but even emotionally. We've been exhausted from the journey, from whatever it is that we've been going through. Thirdly, this morning, he didn't only experience Weariness, he can identify with us, folks. He experienced temptation. There are so many ways in life that we can face temptation. Ever been tempted? Now you look at your pastor this morning. Your pastor started about a couple weeks ago, started to join with my wife on a keto diet. Then you could tell I'm extremely overweight, right? You could see that, can you? Actually, my problem was thing. It's a twofold problem. Um, Christmas is coming, and fruitcake and desserts will take a toll on me. The second problem is this: I'm outgrowing all of my clothes, and if I had to buy buy a new wardrobe, I can't buy tools and gadgets. Right? So it's easier to go on a keto diet. Boy, was I tempted when when uh, um, I had to go to some coffee shop. I think it was named Equator or something like that. And I had to go there to pick up pallets for the shoe boxes. And I, I went in the door and, uh, and the pastor Aaron's wife came out and she said to me, because she was going to tell me where to go to get the pallets. And she said, would you like to have a coffee? Oh, sure. Who don't like coffee, right? I'll have a coffee. Well, I'm on a 
diet, right? Coffee is not a problem. But I look at the counter. It's not important. They're not just some little donuts and little uh, muffins there. But there's the biggest date squares I ever saw in my life. Date squares and fruitcake go in and in. They're both my favorite. Oh, I wanted to have one so bad. I looked at it and I, I was so tempted. But I bit the bullet. And I bravely walked out the door. A little skinnier because of it. <laughs> Temptations. What about temptations to sin? What about a temptation to do wrong? I remember when I was uh, uh, looking for a, a, a loan to finish building my house when we lived in Newfoundland. And uh, I, uh, was it the house or was it a car? I'm trying to think which one that was. It doesn't matter. I went to apply for a loan and I got turned down. I could have easily not turned down. You see, I was just new at, at everything. I had established no credit. And all I had to do was tell one small lie. Just one. But there was something big on the end of that, line, that lie, folks. It was really important. And the temptation was there, but I bit the bullet. And I didn't lie. And uh, it's so tempting, folks. We face opportunities every single day to do something wrong. But God gives us the courage not to do so. It's not always an easy road. Sometimes we struggle with the temptation to sin. And that is there simply because the tempter is still alive. Amen. And you and I still have our old nature. It's still there. And the carnal nature. And we can easily yield to temptation. That's why the scripture says to guard our hearts. Unless you sin. I wish Jesus could only identify with this one. But listen to him. In Matthew 4, 1 to 11, you know the story. We have Jesus being tempted in the wilderness for 40 days straight. And because of that, he can identify with us. Just just one. Let me give you another one. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For Jesus is not, this is the Savior we have, Jesus is not some high priest who has no sympathy for our weaknesses and flaws. He has already been tested in every way that we are tested, but he emerged victorious without failing God. What an amazing God that we serve this morning. Hebrews 2 and verse 18 says, He suffered and endured every test and temptation. Why? So that He can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Boy, does life ever have, the or, have ordeals. Amen? We don't know. The but Scripture says don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Could be another hard week. Could be another ordeal. But Jesus totally identifies with us. You see, you can't help someone in an area you've never experienced. You know, I, I, I said a little bit earlier, you say to some life, get over it. Uh, you know, the bottom line is this. Don't criticize someone unless you've walked in their shoes. You don't know what they're going through. But Jesus do. He understands. Number four this morning, he experienced betrayal. Reject it. This is a hard one. Have you ever been betrayed by someone? By someone close to you? It's tough. 
can really leave you shaken as you tremble in disbelief. Even as being a pastor over the years, people that I thought were the closest and would never do anything bad to me and to see them totally betray you. Jesus understands. Jesus is accused by the religious rulers of being possessed by the devil. And listen to what happens next. Here is family respond. You know, betrayal by an, a, a, a distant person is not so hard. <laughs> I could get, I'll, I'll find someone else who could take care of that. But when you're betrayed by someone you love, you're betrayed by someone who said they love you. And the heir is Jesus is on own family, when they accused Jesus of being full of the devil, it says in Mark 3 and 21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. <laughs> this is his own family. Ever been embarrassed by a family member? You kind of want to just nudge them out of the way? Come on out. You ever been there? So you see, they're accusing Jesus of being full of the devil and is said ere they try to take him away. He's out of his mind. This is his own family agreeing with the scribes and the Pharisees. This Jesus is out of his mind. Jesus another time was in his own town of Nazareth. It started really good for him. He went back home and he thought he would win his family and the people that he grew up with, uh, you know, he thought he would win and he's there and it's there and for a number of days teaching in the synagogue and everything was going well it says that while they loved it until the Pharisees and the religious rulers got upset listen to it in Luke 4 verses 28 and 29 when they heard this the people in the synagogue were furious jumping up they mobbed them and forced them to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, they intended to push him over the cliff. Nice, honey. That's a nice welcome we can get when we go back to my hometown. And they asked me to stand up and preach. I've, I've actually preached in my hometown. I mean, not a very unpleasant sermon, but I preached. I, I, I don't compromise the word. And I preached the word and had people actually... To, to be honest, there was a family that I found this out after I got into the ministry that every pastor that comes and they find out that I'm coming home, they go to the pastor and says, don't let him preach. That's my home people. This, this, is, my, this is my so-called family. This happened to Jesus in his own town. Rejected. Betrayed. What about Peter's rejection? In Mark chapter 14, verse 72, if you had, I'm, I'm, I'm not going there on this one, but you remember Peter denied Jesus three times? Imagine if I was the son of God and I have the children up here, I'm going to pray with them before they go down to uh, church. And, and, and no, well, no, I got to reverse that. No, I, I'm one of his disciples and I'm here. And uh, one of the little children say to me, you're one of that 12. And I say to a little child, no, no, that's not me. That, that's not me. I don't know the man. It's got to hurt. Rejection. Then we have Judas. Rejection in Mark chapter 14, verses 72. 
Oh, I'm sorry. In uh, uh, one of his twelve, in Matthew 26, verse 14 to 16, listen to it. Then Jesus, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, "How much will you pay me to betray Jesus?" I'm so glad this is not coming up on your screen. Connection loss. Uh, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? This is one of his closest twelves, and they gave him thirty pieces of silver. And from that time, Judas began looking for an much thirty loonies. Hmm? That's that. That's about it. Thirty loonies. I'll betray you, folks. If someone's there willing to get Pastor Aaron. I'm willing to betray him if you'll give me 30 loonies. Just 30, that's all. I, I give them up. Can you imagine? This is Jesus. Another one, I'm almost through. Another one is, what about grief? Jesus experienced grief. Folks, this morning... There are a lot of pains on this earth. I've had kidney stones. I've passed kidney stones. They are not nice. I don't know if I ever said to this congregation, I've said it to mine a couple of times, and I have evidence of this. I know what it's like to give birth to a baby. You don't like men saying that, right? Ah, honey, I know it was like a piece of cake. No, it's not a piece of cake. It's very painful. How do I know that? My mother had 11 children, and she had everyone naturally... She also had several kidney stones which she passed over the years. And she told me this herself. She's got experience, all right? She told me, she said, kidney stones are much worse than birthing a baby. Whew. So I know what it's like, ladies. Don't hit me. Don't throw nothing at me now. Because you, you look at a man and say, you're disgusting. You have no clue. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the worst pain in life is grief. There's no great, greater pain than grief, especially if it's in your immediate family. When my sister died at 41, my mother never got over it. She carried that grief for all of her life. It got easier and easier along the way, but it never left. You could be here this morning, you could be watching this morning, and you know what it is to have a little child and to lose that child. Grief is an horrific pain. It's tough. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. This is Jesus weeping over the spiritual or non-spiritual condition of his city, Jerusalem. And he wept. The Passion Translation makes it more clearer to us. It, this was not just a little trickle going down his face. It says there, he bursts into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem. It broke his heart. He knows what grief is. Here is response at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11 and 35. A very short verse. If I take a verse to memorize... You know, this is the one I would pick, Aaron. Jesus wept. That's not hard. But Jesus, looking at the tomb of his friend, looking at the tomb of the one that he loved, and he knew what was coming next. 
but still to see what he went through and see what his family went through, it says that he broke down and he wept. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 says, he, this is talking about Jesus again. In he, he was despised and rejected. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of deep sorrows who was no stranger to suffering and grief. Now, when you say that about someone, they're no stranger, you usually say it about someone who had a lot of grief to deal with over the years. He was no stranger. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and 38, and he said to them, my heart overwhelmed and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm... My mind just went to when I was in Grenada. And I, 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 one night before I went to bed, or it was the early morning, I think it was before I went to bed, and mid, late afternoon, early in the evening, I got this call from Diana in Malawi. Dad, I've been in an accident. And I've hit this young man, he was riding on a motorcycle, and he went over my car, and he's unconscious. Uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me because if he dies, this is going to get much worse. My heart became heavy. I knew what it was to grieve and want to be there with her. She said to me, don't you dare get on an airplane and come over here because I'm capable of doing that. She said, we're going to make it. And you know, on Monday, that was on a Friday, on Monday, the man came out of the coma that he was in. And by the end of the week, she, was, uh, she wasn't put in jail, but she had to go back several times to the police station waiting for what's going to happen to this young man. And she went back with one of the local pastors, actually, and he took her back on Friday, and they said, the young man has been released. We're fining you $20 Canadian. Wow. But we didn't know what was going to happen. Our hearts were heavy. Grief. And the last one this morning... He was abandoned. He knows what it is to be abandoned. You, have you ever been there? Feeling that God has deserted you? Ever been there? I have. When it seems you talk to God and you, you cry, it's not there and you're going it's all alone. Listening to your cries, but oh, I've been there when God was silent and thought he had enough. I'm not going to listen to him anymore. And then the devil takes advantage of that and he whispers in all kinds of negative things. Your spirit. Matthew 27 and 46 says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, not my God, my God, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? How come you didn't come and rescue me? I'm here on this cross. It's overwhelming. I've had a terrible day. Why have you forsaken me? The Passion Translation says, why have you deserted me? 
Why did you turn your back on me and just go about your business as if nothing was happening to me? I don't know if you've ever felt the feeling of being abandoned. You could be listening to me online this morning, and maybe you're one of those who, you know, your father walked out on you. You might be one of those who your parents gave you up and don't want to see you anymore disown you because, uh, 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 you know, something that you have done and you know what it means to be abandoned, to be forsaken. But not this Jesus. He knows what it's like. He was abandoned. You could be here this morning and there have been times, something in your life where someone turned their back on you and you haven't got over it. But can I tell you this morning, I love what Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says. For you always have God's presence. For as in he promised you, I will say the word. Never. Say it again. Never. I will never. I told both of my girls that I don't care what happens to you in life. I don't care how bad it is that something that you do. I let you know something that your father loves you and I will never abandon you. I will always love you. I tell her, you know, on a, almost on a years, I take little whists and I tell him, your papa will always love you. He will never stop loving you. That's an earthly father. Our heavenly father is even more dependable. I will never leave you alone. Never. And I will not loosen any grip on your life. So as our musicians come back this morning, we're going to sing another carol as we honor this Savior. Our Savior draws near. I could give you a hundreds of occasions where Jesus experienced our earthly battles and clearly can identify with us and understand us even when the closest on earth to you can't understand. He always understands. Amen? Aren't you grateful? He really does. He isn't a distant God. He isn't an unsympathetic God. Wherever you find yourself today, He is waiting with open arms to rescue you from the of hell and to meet your needs. If you're watching online, can I take a minute and talk to the ones online? If you're watching online this morning and you are in place where some of the things I've talked about this morning you felt and it, you, you feel like you're not worthy for God. There is not one person on planet earth either in this building this morning or out there watching online. There is not one person that God says I withdraw my grace from you. You see grace is not due to how good you are but it's due, grace is due to the fact of how good he is. Amen. That's grace this morning. And he offers grace to you no matter what you've done. His grace still covers your sin. I close with this scripture this morning. Hear the heart of God in this. If you're here this morning and you've been going through some difficult times and the devil has whispered in your heart, nobody cares. Not even God. He does care. Romans 8, 15 to 16. 
and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty. That's what the other gods offer. That's it, religious duty. You've got to do this over and over on a daily basis, so many times a day. And when you do, you still don't know if he's going to accept you. You will never know until, you know, well, he's not a real God. But if he was, you would never know until, you know, you finally you, he accepts you and you're in his presence. But he is not a real God. He's a man who assumed to be God. But Jesus is God who uh, came and became human like us. Do, uh, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you up back into the fear of never doing good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you, enfolding you, sorry, you did not receive the spirit of duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance and folding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphan. You will never feel orphan. That tells me there's a guarantee that I will always be his child. Isn't that wonderful? You will never feel orphan. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father, my wonderful father. Oh, how many times have I come into his presence, my wonderful father, for the Holy Spirit makes fatherhood Real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. I'm sure that little Owen, as he travels through life, will always remember, if no one else loves me, I know one, someone who do. My papa will love me. But can I say this morning, you might be here, you might be watching, and uh, you feel abandoned, and you feel that nobody loves you, but can I tell you this morning, you are God's beloved child. He stands with open arms to welcome you. So this spirit that came to save you draws near. Sometimes he's silent. Sometimes he's like us. Have you ever took your child and you could have stepped in and you could have, you know, fixed it right? But you knew that child needed to learn and that child needed to develop and you watched at a distance. God does that sometimes. But he never lets you out of his sight. Never. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of Ottawa Valley Community Church, visit ovcchurch.ca.